Today's reading is from um, Matthew 13, 31 to 33, the first reading. The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and become a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60, into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And the second reading is from Matthew 13, 44 to 52. The parables of the hidden treasure and the peril. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was left down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bed away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who become a dis- disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the word of the, this is the, word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you share stories with us and draw us into your narrative world. Lord, as we are caught up in them this morning, help us to be disarmed by you, that we may hear your word and bear much fruit for your glory. Amen. Um, at the moment, we're looking at a bunch of parables. You may have noticed over the last few weeks, we've had uh, this sequence of parables from the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, collectively, these are parables of the kingdom of God. And uh, because Jesus begins these parables by saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. So last week, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good wheat into his field. And Tina preached on that last week. And uh, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that, parable after parable, riddle after riddle, metaphor after metaphor. And no wonder his disciples come to him in the middle of, of it all and say, why are you speaking in parables, Jesus? Why don't you just speak plainly? Those lay it out for us. One, two, three, A, B, C, do this. 
And uh, I wonder if we feel similar. After all, today we have a sequence of parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. And the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. What joins those together? (laughs) And we might attempt a similar critique. Lord, stop speaking in riddles. Don't do the Nostradamus thing. Um, tell us plainly. The thing is, though, that when we get back into the world in which Jesus delivers these parables, the reason why people are troubled by them is not just because they need a little bit of working out, but because when their meaning becomes clear, the effect of the parables is twofold. It either offends them and disarms them, or speaks deeply to them and builds them up. Parables like faith amplifiers. If I just give you facts, you can take it or leave it. If I give you a story that moves you, it's either going to move you by hardening your heart and heart more, or by softening and nurturing your soft heart more. And throughout the ages, God's prophets have used stories to do this. Remember the prophet Nathan who came to King David after he had committed adultery and raped Bathsheba? He could have said to him, David, you're an adulterer and you need to repent. And he probably would have lost his head. Instead, he tells a story about a man with a little sheep. And the result is changed heart. So Jesus is using these parables and, uh, and it's having that effect. But for us to get into them, I think we need to be able to grasp what the people who heard them were grasping. And that revolves around this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. It's actually a very precious phrase for the people who heard it. Who heard it. They knew what they meant by the kingdom of heaven. And so for Jesus to say the kingdom of heaven is like, it was always going to be confronting. So today, in order to grasp that, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to figure out what on earth the kingdom of heaven means, that phrase. And secondly, we need to allow ourselves to be disarmed by the stories that Jesus is sharing. And it's the second one where I realise I'm very much preaching to myself today as we allow ourselves to be undone by these stories. But the first one is this. What is the kingdom of heaven? Non-rhetorical question. Take two minutes, turn to the person next to you and say, when I hear the word kingdom of heaven, this is what I think it means. Estella's by herself. So uh, Miriam, can you come over and... (laughs) The kingdom of heaven, what does it mean? Sunday school answers are welcome. All right, this isn't going to be a long thing. Anyone got want to want to shout out some some words that go with the phrase "kingdom of heaven"? Martin. 
what life should be like in some sense. Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else got some Stella? A beautiful garden. They go together, actually. The Garden of Eden imagery almost. A peaceful place. Anyone else? A place where God rules. Absolutely. A worshipful place. We said how life is supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Upside down, shalom, how the way life should be. And, then, uh, and we're all on the right track. So imagine what the Jewish hearers of Jesus were thinking when they heard the kingdom of heaven. When they think, what does peace, what does what life should be like, what does it mean for God to rule, what is that image, what is that that's being understood? And grasp where Jesus says, it's like this. Now, for the average Jewish person who has listened to Jesus, the phrase isn't about you know, individual salvation or I want to be part of the kingdom. They had a particular sense of it, which attached their deep roots of who they were. They understood how in their very DNA is this sense of the kingdom of heaven. God had chosen them to create from them a nation. Not only had he chosen them, he had rescued them from Egypt and brought them into a promised land and established them in that land. And they had in their past history an image at least of what the kingdom of heaven looked like in the days of David and Solomon, where Jerusalem stood as the city on the hill whose light shines far. And where the nation of Israel itself was, was a land of fruit and of milk and honey. A garden, a place of provision. Not only for themselves, but a place to which the nations would be drawn. So the Queen of Sheba would turn up and come to the city of the Lord. And hear the wisdom of the Lord's word. And bask in the presence of the Lord in the temple. And they had that in their background. That is their image of the kingdom of heaven. They also have in their background the story of that kingdom lost. Through their sin and waywardness, they understood the faithlessness of their national identity, which led to exile and the loss of that kingdom. And so when they thought of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they are thinking of the restoration of what has been lost. When they heard words like salvation, it wasn't, how do I get to go to heaven personally? It's like, how do my people be saved? How does my nation be restored? How does Jerusalem once again shine as the pinnacle of all cities? Is that what you want to try to say? And so you can imagine that if Jesus had stood up and said, the kingdom of heaven is like victory. The kingdom of heaven is like our nation re-established. Then it would have been received. The kingdom of heaven is like the Romans disappeared. Then Jesus could have printed, make Israel great again caps and won an election. And everyone would have cheered. Yeah, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But he didn't. 
If Jesus had the kingdom of heaven is Jerusalem on that hill with enemies defeated and her friends sharing in the victory, then there probably would have been no scandal. There probably would have been no cross. There probably would have been no death except perhaps Jesus dying an ultimately pointless death and yet another battle of some insurrection against the Romans like any other human king. But that's not what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a mighty army inviting you to join up. Everyone going, yes, that makes sense. But he says rather this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, this image you have of a restored nation is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven that you imagine is like a mustard seed that gets planted in his field, your field. And once it is grown, then it becomes the largest thing, the city on the hill where even birds can come to nest. You see how it lines up? But it doesn't begin there in swords and Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts here, in your heart, in your home, in your family, in your life. Here where, where your deepest desires are and where God is desired, then it grows into the most biggest of all plants bearing much fruit. Can you see how that image collides And there'll be those who are listening who are going, no, you weak man, give me the red cap. And there'll be those who are saying, yeah, you're speaking truth. A number of years ago, back in Australia, some of you may know that I was involved in a reasonable amount of political activism. Some of it was my own passion. uh, Some of it was more official as liaison for the bishop. And the issues and the stances that I was involved with were quite balanced, I think, in my view. They sort of, we we had enemies on both the left and the right, so that sort of kind of says something good, I think. Sometimes it was fun to be involved and have politicians on speed dial on my phone. And I'd find myself in various meetings, campaign meetings. How are we going to swing this parliamentary vote? How are we going to win that election? How are we going to raise awareness of this issue? Letter-writing campaigns, marching, writing submissions, making representations, the whole works. I was doing kingdom work. And then I stopped. Partly because I moved to England, but also partly because it was a kingdom game that I wasn't wanting to play. It was the wrong kingdom. Some are called to it, and so I pray for our politicians. But I was done using fire to fight fire and using power to fight power. And I wasn't being party political. I'm not doing that here. On both left and right, I met people who are Machiavellian, who, uh, where the end justified the means, in which people were expendable in order to achieve their aim. And I realised in the midst of these political campaigns I was involved in, that even if we won, we wouldn't win. The best we could do is we, if we blocked a vote or achieved a victory over here is that we would just 
move ourselves to the next battle after the next battle after the next battle and any righteousness we managed to inculcate into society would be held there by the power of our campaigning and would rest on our energy and our sense of virtue and it realized it was a mug's game i realized i would rather see hearts changed not votes I realise I would rather see fears undone rather than political stances built on top of them. I would rather see truth daringly believed rather than lies that promised much and delivered nothing. Jesus might have said, the kingdom of God is the right side of history. And he could have waved some flags He could have got his disciples to glue themselves to the Roman roads. But he doesn't. The kingdom of heaven is not some political campaign or power play. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. How does that collide? with my political activism. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is more like a righteous infection, a story, a meme in the original sense that takes root, like the mustard seed, in here and then spreads in our hearts, in our homes, our household, our lives. Without glory, without that sort of maintaining the rage, and under the radar of the powers that be, playing a totally different game to what we or the disciples were thinking. Let me read to you. And, 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 and if we look back at the church of God in early times, Jesus was right. This is exactly how the kingdom of God spread. Let me read to you from uh, a a, a, a writing that comes from about 130 AD. Just about, it's about 100 years after Jesus. It's just as the early church is moving from being a group of clumps of little houses to being a bit more of a movement, although it's always it's under persecution and it's under the radar. And this is the, the writing is called The Epistle to Diognetus, and it describes the Christians of this era. So listen to this and then think about what that means as we think about how we pursue the kingdom of God. So this guy who's writing this letter says this. He says, the Christians are distinguished from other men. Sorry, gender exclusive language. They are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. They neither inhabit cities of their own. They don't have power nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any particular singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men. It's not really a philosophy. It's not the power of the academy. Nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines, 
but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives with respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is a land of strangers. They marry as everyone does. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonoured and yet their very dishonour is which they are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honour. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened unto life. They are assailed by Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any real reason for their hatred. The early Christians did not play party politic games. The kingdom of heaven is like some yeast worked into the dough. We, as Christians, pursuing what God wants for us are not here to chase after things with the things that we fixate upon. Whether that fixation is success or some whatever we might want it to be. It just comes from living it out and infecting the world around us. So that brings us back to our second question, doesn't it? If the kingdom of heaven is like this, and Jesus is undoing that, then the second thing is, how does that disarm us? So ponder this a second. What are you building with your life? What are we building as a church? What kingdom are you pursuing? If we're honest about it, we will find the answer to that question at the point where Jesus' words either get up our nose or where we try and grasp them and disarm them in order to serve us and not the other way around. I know vicars for whom the kingdom of God is more about having a big church than it is about being like those people that was written in that letter to Diognetus. And each of us in our different fields and our different part areas of life and all that we do will have the sense of what we want to pursue. For some it's a comfortable and secure life. For some of it it's a cause that we will pursue with power. And whatever it is, it is our desire to pursue that and we will in our own human way build it in our strength and our terms. We will seize it, pursue it, And in doing that, we can look virtuous. And in doing that, we can get people stroking our back and saying, well done, I believe in the same cause, I'm with you, let's keep on going. 
But this is where Jesus disarms us, I think. Because he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden. Not in here. Not in a field that we own. Not in a place under our control. But outside of ourselves. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that someone found in another place. And you see, that's the gospel, isn't it? Jesus says, come follow me. Find the kingdom of God in me. Not in you, in me. Build my kingdom. Come and be part of my domain. For those of us who are awakened by a hope of what the world should be like, the kingdom of God is like that treasure, that pearl that we will give everything away for, including ourselves where the pursuit of it rests in relinquishment and faith and worship and giving all that we have as an entrusting act to him. So how does that confront you as you think about what you are pursuing? In Galilee that day, Jesus spoke in parables to his disciples. And he also spoke to religious experts and the others that had gathered to be with him. Before him sat people from all walks of life. And some were used to religious things, some were, had big Bible knowledge and others did not. And as he spoke to them all, he was doing what he said he was doing. The kingdom of God is like a net casting into the ocean. And it pulls out all these fish. And Jesus was fishing that day. At some point at the end of it, There'll be those who get it. Those who go, yes, I will sell everything I have to pursue what you want, Jesus. And those who would like to put Jerusalem back on the top of the world in their own strength. And at some point at the end of the world, it'll get sorted out. Those who built their own kingdom and those who built God's. But for right now, he says one last question. Do you understand what's going on now, he says to his disciples. Yes, they said. And so, he says, imagine, in this crowd, he says, our teachers of the law, people who have understood what King David's city was like, and they have studied the scriptures, and they know all these things, the plans and the, and the obvious things that we all want. Imagine if those people came to be my disciple. Selling everything they have, pursuing the treasure, then that one would be like someone who owns a storeroom and brings from it both the treasures of the old and the treasures of the new. For those of us who have grown up in the church world, I think we find ourselves there. We are like those scribes those religious leaders who have come with our pre-packaged assumptions of what the kingdom of God is. And so we're not here looking at these parables saying, Jesus good, everything else bad. Set aside your futile passions and serve the church like Jesus wants you to. What we're saying is, no, look into those passions. Look into those deep things, those causes we have, the things we long for, because there's a glimpse of the image of God in them. Not all political activists are power junkies. Most are, are moved by a sense of justice. 
And those who want financial security and success that looks like that, they're not all moved by being tight and stingy. Most are moved by wanting to give generously. Amongst those who are caught up in the weaves and waves of this world are pastorally hearted people, creative people, beautiful people. And this is what we bring those passions and those desires and those longings. And God's aim through these parables is not to destroy us, but to simply to disarm us. So that bringing those things and planting them like little mustard seed, we have both the old treasures and the new treasures coming to serve the kingdom of God. So bring those treasures, let them be sold out. For the pursuit of who God is. I've been writing this talk over the last 48 hours, wrestling with this in myself. And I feel like I get to the end of it and I hear Jesus said, Will, have you understood all these things? And I think I find myself going, I think so, Lord. But there's one thing for sure is I don't want to do it myself. Lord Jesus was saying, keep speaking to me in parables that will move me, that will set my heart right, so that whatever I pursue is not of this world, but it's your spirit at work in me so that I might infect others. And so we're going to sing a song. It's a very simple song. which simply says, Jesus, you be at the centre. You do it all. Let's stand, let's sing.